Welcome to the Level Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And Andre. I could not get you to stop talking. What a woman speak. Do you see what I'm saying? How to break through with your spouse, your partner. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. How did you handle this? The man's kind of got it good. I feel like you're getting off on a little bit of soapbox. This is me rolling my eyes. This is really great. I really... Rolling. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are hosting this nonstop conversation around love and work asking the question, is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? It's a big question. We keep asking it every week to someone new. Every week. And today we have very special friends of ours. This, uh, today we have Brett and BT Harmon. And BT is the founder of Blue Babies Pink. And Blue Babies Pink is uh, just his story, actually, a journey of being a gay Christian in the American South. And so we, we've known BT for a very long time mm-hmm. prior to even Blue Babies Pink. But this is such a great journal almost and story. 44 of his, episodes. 44 episodes yeah. of his process of really accepting who he was as a gay Christian and yeah. being okay with that. It's really educated a lot of people and given people... Um, I would say a new compassionate heart towards a topic a lot of people are not very educated on. Yeah. So, so what, what, what should we be listening oh, for, Shanna Barger? what we should be listening for. I have three things. The first is the first time they went on a date, Brett chose, instead of getting an extra drink with him, he chose to go do his laundry. I love it. That was very funny. I got to go home and do laundry. Laundry of all the things. He wasn't into him <laughs> at first. Secondly... They have a really interesting perspective on social media. One person is very public and one person is very private. And they're probably going to stay that way forever, right? Oh, yeah. The third thing to be listening for, and I think this is really, really important, uh, BT gives some incredible advice for parents who have children that are gay. Yes, that's really good. And I think if you're a parent that is struggling in this area, or even if you know a friend of yours that has a child that is gay, I mean, it is kind of a pretty common thing today. I think this would be a great episode for you to listen to. So let's get right to it. BT and Brett Harmon. All right, you two. I'm so glad you're here. And first of all, let's go, Brett. Tell us about your love story, how y'all met how it all kind of came to be? Well, that's, that's, that's a great question. It's a, it's a very long answer. So I will jump to the point where I started swiping on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. About uh, March or April of 2015. And so I swiped right on several people, came across this photo, swiped right. Uh, we talked for a little bit. It took some time to actually schedule our date. Uh-huh. Well, we finally Because he's it. a very busy man. Yeah, he's very busy. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we had our date at Taqueria del Sol here in Atlanta. Okay. Uh, interesting fact, that was my go-to first date spot. I probably had at least 10 first dates there. So you, like, picked that spot? Yes, I, okay. I picked it specifically. And what is the reason for that? Because it's quick. Yeah, <laughs> there's an easy, quick If the date is not exit. going well... It takes you probably about 30 minutes total to get your food and eat and be done. And so you can end the date. And it gives you time. If you do want to drag out the date, you can. So it's just, it's, it's good. It's not a place you have to go and 
you sit two hours with someone you don't really want to be with. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So how was the first date? It was average. For oh, me. Wow. For me. It was just an average first date. Brett. I mean So my perspective on that first date was that it was, you know, not as much average as it was, a little bit of a disaster. Uh, from my again, my perspective, we have various perspectives on this, but yeah, we sit down, small talk, chit chat, it's going okay. I then begin to make the turn towards um, hey, why don't we go next door and get a drink? His response was, uh, you know, I can't, I'm busy, I've got to do laundry tonight. Oh, <laughs> And so at this point, I'm like, okay, he finds me less interesting than an actual pile of laundry. Oh, man. And so at this point, I'm like, all right, that is your sign. The date is officially over. And so we get up. We sort of shake hands and part ways. Were you like soul crushed? Oh, I was. Yeah, I I was actually. Yeah, I was pretty kind of I won't say hurt, but I was a little bit hurt because I was really into him. Um, It was hard for me just when I was in the dating scene, particularly online dating, just finding good people like I just had not found many good ones and I could tell this was a good person you know that I also was attracted to and so so I get in my car and I instantly start like there's like you know three of my closest girlfriends are waiting to hear how the date went and so of course I'm like oh my gosh he ditched me for laundry what a jerk you know and they start piling on and we all instantly you know hate this guy so um so we text him a little bit more that night and then and then he sort of disappears which in the online dating world is effectually known as ghosting Ghosting. Mm -hmm. like a like a ghost in the night and so yeah we didn't really uh we didn't we didn't talk that was like in may and we didn't talk again until august and do you want to pick up from there yeah first i'll give the backstory were you ghosting were you (laughs) hang on and thanks for educating us on ghosting we've been out of the game for so long let's be honest it's terminology come on All right. So well, was it a true ghosting? I would I would say yeah. <laughs> but But you had a reason. Yeah, f- from my perspective, again, I had limited dating experience, so I had no idea what the do's and don'ts were, honestly. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say that I, I had gone on another first date with somebody else a few days before you. Mm-hmm. And so I liked him as well. And I thought it was only fair to give the first guy a chance first. Yeah, you know? order, chronological. Right. Okay, got I'm it. a very logical person. Okay. <laughs> and then the laundry thing, I mean, actually, you know, I went home and did laundry because I had to do that. <laughs> I mean, that was the truth. Yeah, knowing him now, Brett's a very practical person. I was like, he right. definitely did laundry that night. He was yeah. just being straight up with me, which you know, he was being honest, which I have respect right. for. I love it. And then, So then how did y'all reconnect again? Yeah. I was back home uh, visiting some family. And I was slowly going to work up the courage to text him. This was a few months later. Yeah, right? a few months later in August. Because uh, chronological number one didn't work. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Uh, Got so it. I started liking some of his stuff on Facebook, and I knew that I would eventually get the courage to text him, but I wasn't there yet. So I just randomly followed him on Instagram one okay. night. I was back home, fam- laying in bed, and literally, literally less than thirty seconds after I followed him on Instagram, he texted me like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> You saw I like it. it. Oh, yeah. Totally I was excited. Well, I, again, I had written him off because in the online dating world, people break your heart so quickly. You just have to emotionally numb yourself and move on. So I was like, all right, forget Brett Harmon. I'm done with him. And all of a sudden, I get the follow on Instagram. I'm like, okay, he's, he's coming back. back around. He he's is back. back. Yeah. And, here's what I, and here's what I always say like, we, you know, there's not very many gays in the world. We're about three to 5% of the population. So gays can't be nearly as choosy as straight people. <laughs> Straight people, you can like run through relationships and there's a whole line of straight people like waiting behind them. But with gays, you got to be a little more forgiving and a little more understanding. So I was like, I will forgive and forget. Let's I talk. I am dying. And the, we will reignite this flame of conversation. And uh, that's what happened. Yeah. I, and I went to New York a few days later. We texted and FaceTimed and all that. Then when I finally got back to Atlanta, we, he came over and we uh, just had a great night. We talked all night. 
literally. It's mm-hmm. it's one of those kind of rom-com situations where you talk yeah. hours and hours with the same person. Hmm. And we've been together ever since. Yeah, and to Brett's credit, that night, he was so apologetic. He, he explained, he gave the backstory about that first date. And mm-hmm. again, that just confirmed what I believed about him. It was like, I, my gut says this is a good-hearted person. Right. This is a person of integrity. And he was so kind and so apologetic. And... Yeah, I think that and night. And honest, right? And yeah. honest. Yeah, up like honest he with you. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, literally ever since then, I mean, I think we sort of both fell in love, you know, that first that reconnection, but then ever since then, yeah, we've been in love. So. Yep. So, as you were dating, BT released Blue Baby's Pink, right? That was when you were still dating. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. About a year in. So, I'm curious, how was that for you, Brett? Like in the midst of him sharing, and you might need to set up what Blueberry's Pink is a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I but think you if, need to explain that yeah, one. Yeah, explain Blueberry's Pink is BT, yeah, so and in, then, yeah, talk about that. In 2016, I released a, a blog called Blue Baby's Pink, and it was really my, uh, the subtitle was A Southern Coming Out Story. And so it was my story of growing up the son of a Southern Baptist pastor in a small town in Alabama and concealing my sexuality, running from it. So it really, literally starts at my childhood, runs all the way through almost up to present day. And uh, I talk about going to high school and college and being in a fraternity and uh, starting on board with a startup in 2005 and essentially just running from my pain and running from the secret that I had uh, until eventually getting to the point of sort of having an emotional mental breakdown. And that's what pushed me sort of into the dating world because I'd been on the single and celibate path before that. And so that's what this whole story was very drawn out. It was in 44 different installments over the course of 44 days in the fall of 2016. And so um, that story got some wings underneath it early on and quite a few people began to engage with that story. So yeah, here we are. Uh, we're in a year dating. into dating, yeah. and, and I'm getting like emails from people all over the world who are, you know, asking questions and very interested in and in very very personal part of my life. So become you essentially became very public at that time. How did you deal with that, Brett? That was the the aspect of it that that bothered me, just because I'm a very private person mm-hmm. by nature, and so having you know that much personal information, even though it wasn't my personal information, yeah, <laughs> it was still stressful to me. Um, so you were stressing for him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was tough. But we talked about it. And I think eventually, you know, I got over it. It, it. it became normal. And so now he puts more and more of himself out there. And that doesn't that doesn't really stress me out because now he's he's putting us out there, which you know, doesn't really bother me because he yep. he knows the limits. He knows the boundaries and he's respectful of that. And I also know that, you know, I, I give him space to do that and, and uh, give him allowance for that as well. Well, I know that's something you guys talk a lot about on the Lover Work podcast is the differences in relationships and marriage. And this is a good example of where me and Brett are very different. I take an approach of particularly I want to live my life online in sort of a honest, vulnerable, very transparent way. And that came out strongly in Blue Baby's Pink because I got, yes, yeah. I, I went to some very, very sort of private places there. Um, but Brett's not that way. And so, but I certainly respect that and do not expect him to be that way now. And, and I appreciate him giving me the grace and the space, you know, a year into dating to kind of vent all of this past history and, you know, drama to vent that to the world. Um, you know, again, the fact that he let me do that without shaming me or, or uh, you know, getting onto me was, was a really sweet gesture on his part. And I mean, the alternative was, you know, we break up and I didn't want to do that. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go along with this. Yeah, I think I made it. Yeah, this, this. I can, I can handle this for him. <laughs> yeah, this project had been about a decade in the making, so I think he realized that this meant a lot to me, and yeah. uh, I, I viewed it as sort of a calling thing, and I still do, and so, yeah. And to out. do this, now, prior to this, BT, you quit your job, and right? So you were, like, in a very stable kind of, 
you had been at this job place for many years and you had quit that to kind of do this. Is that, is that? Yeah. I had been working in one company for 12 years, a fantastic organization. And, but really, you know, a couple years out for various reasons, realized it was time to begin uh, figuring out an exit strategy. And so there were sort of three parts to that equation, uh, buying a home, uh, quitting my job and then coming out of the closet. And so I did all those things <laughs> in 2016. So 2016 was a, was a big, like exciting major year. life change, lots of major life stuff going on. And, um, but you know, the timing of it all kind of worked out and, you know, I just ripped all the band-aids off at once and have not looked back since. And then really don't, don't regret anything about it. That's amazing. So then at some point you get, I guess it was, was it last Christmas that you got engaged? Is yeah, right? yeah. I was the, the, I was the day after Christmas, 2017, after Christmas, which yep. I knew prior to it happening. For the record, <laughs> oh, Jeff feels Jeff very an, special about that. Jeff was an insider. I was an insider. Um, you get engaged in New York, and then you get married just a few months later. Mm-hmm. And I think both of your families, there is some tension in the midst of all that, right? Yeah, uh, there definitely was. You know, both Brett and I come from pretty traditional Christian Southern backgrounds. We both grew up in small towns in North Alabama. And so, you know, we have uh, fantastic families, both of us do. Uh, But there's definitely some, you know, because of the taboo around homosexuality, because of the political nature, the perceived political nature of same-sex marriage, uh, you know, there definitely were concerns there. Um, You know, Brett and I are blessed to have, we have some family members that are extremely supportive and, you know, you know, to the point of just about raving, waving rainbow flags. And then we've got other family members who are not technically supportive because of their theological views, but they've learned to be loving, loving mm. to both to both us and our, our person. And so we're super thankful for that because not all LGBT people are that lucky, I would say. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so based on people's various beliefs, I'd say you know, some of them came to the wedding and some didn't. Mm. But... I think I was okay with that. I feel like you were too. And that, it kind of brought me back to the, the coming out phase. I don't know if this happened for you, but I realized during that phase of my life, you know, I could have a good life regardless of what other people thought or did. Hmm. And so it, it brought that back to my mind as we were going through the engagement and the wedding, you know, we could still have a good wedding and we could still have a good life regardless of who was there and who wasn't. Yeah. Me and Brett, we've, I think we've settled in a pretty healthy place of, we try to give our family and friends who are on the more traditional side of things, we try to give them space to hold their beliefs. Again, as long as they're loving and kind towards us in practice. And so I'm of the belief, if someone is not loving or kind towards me, you're not going to have any space at the table of my life. But if you're loving and kind, I don't care what's going on between your ears around your specific theological beliefs, because that's not really my business. And it's not my job to change you, to shame you, to point the finger at you and make you feel bad. And so that's sort of the, the philosophy we've taken uh, and it's, you know, it's been good. It's hard at times because you, all of us internally crave validation. We want people to be for us and before mm-hmm. our marriage. But at the end of the day, you know, we can't change that. And so I'm just a big believer in life. The quicker you can move on from the, the addiction that so many of us have to try to change people, the happier we'll be. Mm-hmm. And Brett, and as a follow-up to that, I mean, if, if, if there's someone listening that's a parent, and, and this is really for both of you, but they have a child that's come out that's gay in some way. What mm-hmm. advice would you guys give to the parents? I know you have, you've both talked to endless families yeah. in the midst of this. And um, what advice would you give as parents in the midst of that moment? Like, h- how would you encourage them to respond? I would say for them to remember that that 
child has struggled with that for a long time, you know, mm. and so to, to have some compassion for them. And it's okay for the parent to take their time to think through this and to, to really think about it because they may not have ever considered it beforehand. Hmm. So, yeah, I think the overall element is time. Just be at peace with everything. Take your time to understand. Ask questions. Learn from one another. Pray for one another as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the hard part of a coming out conversation is it's an ambush, meaning most parents don't see it coming. It often comes when they least expect it. And so because of that, that's where you have a lot of these really negative, toxic, emotional responses that we've heard so much about between parent and child. But just as Brett said, this is something that child has been living with every day of their life. They've been thinking about it, worrying about it. I cannot tell you how much emotional energy both of us uh, went through in worrying about how our parents would respond. Because when you're younger, you know, it's like, we all fear the responses of different people, but you know, if this friend or that friend walks out of your life, that's one thing. If your parent walks out of your life, if they turn their back on you, if they shame you, that's a whole other level of devastation. You know, for those people who are younger, if they're financially dependent on their parents, that brings a whole new element of fear. And so I've often said for an LGBT person, it is most likely that the hardest conversation they will ever have is when they come out to their parents. So this is something I'm very passionate about, Brett's passionate about, is doing what what Brett just said, which is trying to encourage parents in that moment, whatever you do, don't do harm. You know, don't say something you're going to regret. Um, You can never take those words back. You have weeks, months, and years later to discuss the finer points of the situation. You can Mm -hmm. talk theology, you can talk behavior, but in that particular very vulnerable moment, the only thing you should meet your child with is love, compassion, Uh, I think Brett used the word listening, which I love Mm -hmm. asking questions, you know, Hey, tell me what has it been like living in this home, you know, with this Hmm. secret, what has it been like bearing this burden, you know, quietly for the last, you know, so many years. And so, so yeah, most parents, you know, particularly those on the more traditional side of things, uh, you know, I've talked to hundreds of them. Most of them don't get this right. Um, I'm a big believer though, that Mm -hmm. there is, there is grace for that. And there, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of kids will forgive their parents again, if they come back to a place of love and can kind of say, you know what, I've messed up that conversation, but moving forward, mm-hmm. we're going to make this relationship centered around love and support. Yeah. I mean, overall it's coming out. It's, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for people to get to know you as you really are. You know, your mm-hmm. parents, they, they have an idea of who you are and they think that, and then the child comes out and the child's saying, actually, this is who I really am. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's an invitation for the parents to, to, to lean in and right. to learn more about, you know, obviously the person that they love yeah. very much. Right. And that's really hard because some parents have told me when my child came out, I felt deceived. Right. It was a, they felt like it was a bait and switch. And so th- the parent can instantly feel like a victim. Mm-hmm. And I've often said victims don't offer other victims support real well, you know? Yeah. And so in that moment, uh, when that parent is feeling that victimization, boy, they've got to, you know, muster every ounce of courage and compassion and empathy to just get through that conversation without saying something harmful. And again, there's time later to discuss the finer points, but, but yeah, having, having a posture of compassion, humility, empathy, and realizing that that child has been on a incredible journey that you did not know anything about. That's, that's a really big deal. We were single for so long. I mean, mm-hmm. in our twenties, we didn't really date. We had sort of both accepted lifetime singleness. And so I think one thing that colors our marriage greatly is incredible gratitude. Because we live for so long under this burden of what I call forced celibacy, meaning we, the only way we felt we could make God happy was, you know, by being single and celibate forever. And so 
I just, every day I wake up so stinking grateful for him, for the amount of love that he has brought into my life, the companionship, the joy. Now, granted, I'm sure some of that is connected to the, you know, the early newlywed bliss, but I do think that starting from such a place of gratitude is a really big deal, you know? I mean, practically, yeah, we've had to learn who's doing dishes, who's doing laundry, which every couple has to deal with that. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the interesting things about a same-sex marriage is we're not bringing in a cultural set of traditional roles, right? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. maybe in a, you know, traditional marriage, the guy comes in assuming the wife's going to, you know, cook and clean and that kind of thing. Well, we don't have that. And so I think we really have taken on a sort of a 50-50 mentality where we're both trying to Uh, do as much as we can to support our household. You know, I'm a big believer, again, growing up in a religious context, just the idea of selflessness in marriage. And so I think both of us have have done a pretty good job of just trying to be selfless and like, I'm not waiting on him to take out the trash. I'm just going to take it out now. And, and again, you know, neither of us are perfect, but I do think we've been able to enact some of that good teaching and training that we, you know, we heard years ago about what constitutes a healthy marriage. So let me, you, you kind of alluded to something right there for a second about the differences between same-sex and straight relationships or marriages. And I'm curious, have you guys unpacked that before? Like, what are the differences between these? And what, what, how does that play out for you guys? I think, you know, between a man and a woman, there are sort of traditional stereotypes that people have in general. I'm sure I had them too overall. But then in, in a, a same-sex relationship, you don't really have that. So it's kind of fun to figure out things, you know, based on each person's strength in a couple. I think that's the only big thing. I think that's healthy. It seems like because in, you're not carrying that, that burden. Yeah. Expectations. Expectations. Yeah. Yeah. You're bringing a clean slate in to say, all right, there's, you know, one thing I've observed, same sex couples, we don't have a lot of support. Um, and I don't mean that like in a despairing or despondent way, but Everything out there about marriage comes at it from a straight perspective, which I get, right? I mean, 95 to 97% of the human population is straight. And so, of course, that's how it's all going to trend. And so, you know, there is one of the, one of the ch- challenges of being in a same-sex marriage is you sort of feel alone at times. And I've even observed that um, we also don't have the same support, even from friends and family, particularly for those who are scared to talk about it, for those for whom they do disagree with this theologically or politically, there's sort of a pulling away that I think happens instead of a leaning in if you have a problem or a challenge or a struggle. And so, you know, that's one that's one thing. Um, having, you know, we can't have a baby, that's a challenge that we're, you know, <laughs> is part of a same-sex marriage. Uh, but yeah, I think more need for role clarity. Both of us being men, you know, we both want careers. And so that's another discussion is how do we move forward if we're going to have children and both be career-focused. Um, so yeah, there's some little in- intricacies that are unique to same-sex marriages, but at the end of the day, I think there's more similarities than not as far as what makes a healthy marriage. When you're talking about there's not, uh, you don't have a lot of support in this, like, yeah, there's not gay marriage books or, right? Like, Not many, that, yeah. Yeah, it's like, how do you... Yeah, yeah. It just because it's still so new. Right. It's only been a few years that it's been legal across the country. It's interesting. I think you guys are the great first you know, like we said, first gay couple, we really do hope this is a podcast for like all listeners. And we talk about that this being for all partnerships. And so not just specific to marriage, only even long, like even long committed relationships. Like we want all of that to be kind of on here. But I would love to hear you more talk a little bit about the same sex marriages and like how you take that away from just 
the political view or the the way that society is might be looking at it or even yeah christian worldview of that and talk a little bit more about that yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. You know, 20 or 30 years ago, this issue got linked to, you know, one particular political party. It became what I would call sort of a political weapon. It became a, a tribalistic purity test, meaning this is one issue that we can tell if you're one of us or if you're not. Mm. And so it is. It's it's very hard for me to watch as the culture just absolutely consumes itself, you know, or has consumed itself over this topic with fighting and various kinds of conflicts around it. And, you know, what I've always said is, you know, to an, from the outside looking in, same-sex marriage feels very political because it has been politicized. To us, it could not be less political. Hmm. Because, again, me and Brett live for so long under the the mandate of, you know, you can never be married, you're going to have to be alone forever. And we, we felt the weight of that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys, have, you know the research, but we just know humans do much better together than they do alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I read a stat recently that uh, single single men are 350% more likely to commit suicide than married men. And there's all kinds of stats that show that marriage is good for people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good for straights. It's good for gays. It's just marriage is the institution that humans are most likely to thrive in. Mm-hmm. And so when I've heard in the past, you know, I believe in traditional marriage, my response to that is, I absolutely do as well. I am for traditional marriage. Mm-hmm. I am glad my parents got traditionally married. <laughs> uh, you know, but from my perspective, the beautiful thing about same-sex marriage is it does not detract from straight marriages in any way. You know, it's like there were 90, you know, 97 people were at a party and you let three more in, you know, that, that doesn't diminish the party. And so me and mm. Brett, I think we're currently living the value of that and that we are, we are now at a new level of thriving because we are experiencing new levels of joy, new levels of healing, new levels of, of all kinds of positive emotions from the institution of marriage. And so, you know, I, I just think that for those of us who have gotten quote unquote gay married, we are not against the institution of marriage. We are the biggest proponents of marriage, and we want to see marriages thriving and flourishing and families being formed because, like you guys, we just think that marriage is the foundation of, of all the good things in life. Hmm. I love it. So I want to go back towards the newlywed thing again. <laughs> so you guys got married recently. I'm curious what the best marriage advice you received was. One of the ladies that I, I work with, I, I asked her that question, what, you know, what was some good marriage advice? And she said, the person who's right should apologize first. Hmm. Wow. That's yeah. a good one. I'm like... That's why I was apologizing first. One down. <laughs> I, I don't remember you telling me that. I'm like look, sitting here listening and that's learning. That's my this little is, trick. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so if you apologize right. first... Oh, I, yeah. You know, he's, he's, it's playing mind games. It's game. how you're it's signaling it. that you're right and I'm not. Got it. Okay. <laughs> no, note taken. No, no. I mean, I think it's, it's very good advice, and I have remembered it a few times, but uh, it's just... I think it, that, that advice just is, is another way to say be selfless. You know, it's not mm-hmm. about your ego. It's about the, the union as a whole and, mm-hmm. and and work to preserve that instead of your own pride. Mm. That's a good one. That's really good. I've never heard that. You got one, BT? Well, I, I don't have a specific. That was a great quote. I don't have one like that. <laughs> that was like a zinger. <laughs> I wrote that down. I go zinger. Back, yeah, I go back to just this that one word, selflessness. Mm. I think we are all just so prone towards selfishness. I know I certainly have been throughout my life and... I'm just finding when me and Brett are most at peace is when I am being selfless, when he is being selfless towards me, 
putting the other person first, thinking about their needs. You know, it's just getting, uh, getting unaddicted to our own sort of mental ecosystem that is purely focused on us. And I think training, I'm a big believer, mentally training ourselves to think for the needs of another person to me is that's, to me, that's the center of the bullseye. And I just feel like it's really hard. It's really hard to have big knockdown, drag out fights and disagreements when you're truly in that selfless zone. So for me, that's sort of Six months into marriage, we know virtually nothing. We have much to learn. <laughs> but all I know right now is, man, talking to myself, BT, get over yourself. Think about it from his perspective. Accept the fact that he is radically different from you and that it's not your job to change or twist him or bend him into any certain mold uh, and to try to show empathy, understanding, asking questions. That's, that's what we know. That's what I know thus far. So Look at the newlyweds bringing it, <laughs> preaching it. <laughs> You guys are the ones usually learning more than the rest of us, but that's good. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're just like energized, you know. They're yeah. not like beaten down by the world instead just of kidding. bitter like some of the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! I'll give you one other thought. We did do some really excellent um, pre-engagement counseling, and we took some kind of little couples assessment. I don't remember the name of it, but you know, you answer the questions. We've all done these things, but it kind of compared. Uh, you know, each of our needs and skills and whatnot. The one that stuck out the most to me, there was sort of a graph about your uh, tolerance for change. Oh, yeah, that's good. I scored like out of 100, I was like a a 97 on change tolerance. Like you love it. I love it. I love change. I love, I kind of love chaos. Like I want every day to be different. It's great. Brett was like a a 10 on that. You know, he (laughs) was like bottoming out the scale. And so our, our therapist was hilarious. She was like, we need to talk about this one graph here because I'm, I'm sensing this <laughs> so could be, different. Yeah, like, this could be an area of tension. And so he but, did mention earlier, he's like, yeah, we just need to get into a routine. That was a direct quote from the <laughs> which is the exact thing that you don't want. Right. I'm like, you like a routine. change That's every right. day. But that was good. Again, I think there's so much value in just these little, so many tools out there and people and resources, but even just knowing that I made a big note of that in my notebook that day of, all right, Brett, just because you like change, you need to, consider that for him, that that's a little bit harder for him to process and work through that. And at the same time, mm-hmm. I need to cool my jets and not love and enjoy and expect chaos because that's selfish on my part to expect him to kind of meet right, me on my like level. So, that you know, compromise, whatever you want to call it. But that was a big, that was a big lesson too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when you're really different people, there can be this deeply seated fear of like, <gasps> are we really compatible? I don't know. You know, these are, this is obviously the thoughts, you know, when you're dating you have, but I think that was very, very, affirming when we went through the therapy to say, Hey, you guys have all of your big blocks are in place. Like, yeah, you've got big differences from a personality temperament standpoint, but that stuff can be worked out and can be figured out and can be, you know, you can learn how to live and thrive in the midst of that. So that was, that was helpful. We're big, we're therapy fans and think it's great. All right. Our last question we always ask everyone, which is you haven't lived through all the stages yet, but we do want to know your opinion on this is, is it possible for both of you to change the world? to stay in love and raise a healthy family. We'd love to hear from each of you individually and get your perspective on it. Yes, I'd say definitely yes. I probably define change the world differently than most people. Hmm. I would say, to me, changing the world is, is really supporting your family and, and your spouse and your kids and making sure that you're giving them a platform to where they can go do things and they, they have a, a, a safe place and a, a steady place to come back home to. And be comforted, and to me, that's that's what I feel like. Overall, my life work it should be is just have that to create that uh, really loving space and home yeah. 
mm-hmm. and then give them the tools they need to go do whatever they want to. Because that is changing the world to me because you're mm-hmm. making the difference in, mm-hmm. in one person's life. It doesn't have to be, you know, the, the entire world's population. It could just be a few people's. I totally agree. You know, I've, I've heard it said, put it this way, if you win at work, but you lose at home, you lose. You know, and I, I agree with that. You know, I definitely have, I do want to be putting myself out there, creating content, inspiring people and being a positive force for change. But at the same time, I agree with what Brett just said. My first priority is to my family. He is my number one person to make sure that he thrives and he's successful and that I'm a support to him and his dreams. Once we have kids, they'll fall, you know, next in line. And then I think anything beyond that is, is sort of the icing on top. So I do think it's possible. I think it takes work. I think it takes intentionality. Another bit of, uh, Another little piece of advice I heard early on was that we've got to fight for the relationships that mean the most to us. And I don't remember where we said that. I think you heard it from somewhere, maybe, Brett. But, but I am just trying to remember that of, you know, if the relationship feels like it's taking work, that's actually totally normal. <laughs> because a, these, It's a good thing. Right. Yeah. It's like these, these relationships don't just magically thrive on their own. It requires intentionality, forethought, humility, selflessness. And so for me, I'm like, I want to start every day there. And if I'm giving myself in those areas and my family is thriving, now I've got the foundation and the chance to change the world, you Hmm. know, because uh, as you guys know, so many people that I see that are changing the world, they have that really strong foundation at home. And so that's priority number one. And if the world has changed, you know, after that, then kudos. I have one other follow-up question. You kind of referred to some of the people that you know and friends and things like that, specifically BT. I think in years ahead, you have tons of thoughts around millennials and leadership and the thinking related to all that kind of stuff. I'm curious as you look around you and friendships that you have, especially that are in relationships, long-term relationships, what things do you see in the midst of this tension of balance, of marriage, of kids, of purpose that you would love to give some advice on to those people today? I think it's really hard to win battles on multiple fronts. You know, and by battles, I mean the the typical battles that are harmful to marriages or not harmful, but challenging to marriages. So whether that's financial stress, relational stress, you know, unsuccessful sex life, you know, whatever these things are, I think we've just got to be really, really careful with not layering in too many fights because I'm at the point I'm 30, almost 37 years old. I've seen marriages that have failed and we all have. And to me, that seems like such a common denominator when you layer in problems and challenges, one on top of the other, and even just transitions. You know, we're, we're buying a home. We just had a new baby. Um, but layering in job stress, home stuff, finances, to me, that's what I see causing a breaking point in so many marriages around me is when there's just the, the weight of it all gets too much and people break. And so hmm. to me, I think there's some of that stuff we can't avoid. You know, we cannot stop getting laid off from work, mm-hmm. but I think we can prepare better. I think, you know, all of that you know, teaching around financial success, because we all know finances are a big deal, but having some kind of emergency fund in place when financial stress hits. And so that's what we're trying to build is to create some safeguards around our marriage so that when those hard times come, hopefully we can weather that storm and and not have to bear all of that at once. And I think with that said, having a community, I, I always go back to, I'm a, such a believer in having just some people in, around you in your life that know what's going on, who are there for you, and can speak into your life. I'm amazed at the, the friendlessness that so many of my married couples experience hmm. where they're just, they're in their own cocoon doing their own thing. And 
I get it, life is busy and kids, but I think there has got to be some element of building a scaffolding around your marriage of other supportive people who can be there when times get tough. Because I really think that's, that has really been a plague on a lot of marriages that I've seen fail recently. Thank you, too. You guys are the best. Thank you for Appreciate having us. you guys. And now it's time for the breakdown. Oh, I love them. They're so wonderful. They had, I mean, for newlyweds, six months in, <laughs> come on. And we can learn from anybody. I know. Tell me something you learned. Well, I really did love what Brett said about the person who is right should apologize first. That was a great quote that BT didn't know that. He I know. It about was every like, time they get he's an like, argument. here comes the zinger. <laughs> that was awesome. I know. I'll totally remember that. I think that was really good. I think you should rem- remind yourself. <laughs> I knew wait, you were going to say wait that. Wait a second. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Can we talk about their different perspectives on public, the kind of the public private tension? Do you think this is a real issue in marriages today? I do. And we kind of talked about it a little bit after we got off air. But one of the things I think is interesting is that there are some of the private partners that are very happy in that role, very content. This is what they want to do. They want to support their partner that is more in the public eye. Yeah. But then I also think that there are some that don't want to be there and kind of feel like there's a jealousy issue. Forced. Kind of. I don't know if it's jealousy necessarily, but maybe, but also just feel like they're forced into this, place Mm. and because the other person is already public and so that is just what they have to do I don't know it's this is a tension this is a big tension I feel like we keep running into this this is such a weird topic though like no other time in history has anyone ever had this conversation probably true it's just it's funny like Jada we're we're reading Little House on the Prairie right now it's like (laughs) it's such a different age but yet it wasn't that long I mean it was I mean, it was a long time ago, but, but the perspective of like, like we're in an interesting moment in time where that is even a battle. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I think we're going to keep talking about this. Okay. Can I give a quote that, that BT said? In the future said? times. Yes. Let's do it. I think it's hard to win multiple battles at once. And he sees this challenge of layering in fights. Yeah, I agree with him. I mean, it's like, okay, are we going to do a big move? Are we going to change jobs and, you know, have a baby in the same year? (laughs) You know, I mean, that's just like ding, ding, red flags of all the major sources of conflict for people all in one moment. So would you you say we need to kind of pace ourselves in major life, life changes? Yeah. And I I think also just, so I, I do think that there are circumstances and things where it's like, this is thrown at you all at once. This is actually just, it's out of your control. This is how it has to be, right? Where your company suddenly moves you to another country or another state. You just have to do this, right? But I also think you can look at that and say, okay, these are major life changes Mm -hmm. that actually proven lead to divorce. So how can we prepare ourselves? How can we Mm. be ready for this? How could we find support? Uh, Should we start going to some counseling now before this even happens? You know, how can Mm. we be talking about these issues before? As he was explaining that, I was just thinking about there have been some times in our marriage where we have experienced those overlapping of tension-filled moments, you know, and it, there is a breaking point that you will have if you're not careful, you know? Yeah. 
You know, I think we have a lot to learn from even same-sex marriages. I think there's a beauty of coming into a same-sex marriage of no cultural kind of traditional roles, expectations put on that. You know, they get to kind of define their relationship with how they want to define it and set up their roles with how they want to set it up. But really also realizing that it's lonely. It's a lonely space. And how can we, you know, you and I in a straight marriage, how can we support them? How can we love them? You know, for you and I, for some reason, we've had gay friends for decades. Ever. Most people that we talk to have not, I mean, historically, a lot of friends we've had have never had relationships with people that were that different than them. Hmm. And, but at the same time, they're not really that different than us. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even what they were talking about, this is an invitation for people to get to know you as you are and an invitation to have a dialogue an invitation to learn and to hear another perspective. And I hope that that's what our listeners were able to do today and just hear and learn. We're thankful that Brett and BT joined us today. If you want to learn more about Blue Babies Pink, go to his website, bluebabiespink.com. There's 44 essays to read, or you can listen to the podcast. He has a bunch of other resources there also for for parents parents and for other people. Um, You can learn a lot through that. So check out the website. Thank you. This is another episode of Love at Work Podcast. We'll see you soon.